0: Hey, Real Talker, you probably don't need me to tell you that thousands of people across the country showed up for that one million march for children and thousands more showed up in counter-protest. Were you one of the people at the end of the day that was left with a pit in their stomach? I share a few thoughts the morning after on this episode of Real Talk. Don't forget, you can watch it on YouTube, too.
1: This is a Relay Project.
0: Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. Good day to you. This episode of Real Talk is supported by our friends at Business Career College. Are you looking for a rewarding and high paying career without a university degree? You can get started as an insurance professional right now with Business Career College. You know, in Canada, insurance agents oftentimes are starting at about 56 grand a year and they can soon earn up to just under $90,000 annually. All you need to do is take an approved course and pass your licensing exam. Business Career College offers industry leading approved courses in life insurance and property and casualty insurance, and their expert instructors are passionate about helping you launch your new career. Right now, you can save 15% on any Business Career College insurance course with the code REALTALK, and you can get started today by checking out Business Career College. Com. This episode of Real Talk, uh, we're going to be connecting with three Alberta mayors in, in just a moment, uh, the mayors of the cities of St. Albert, Wetaskiwin and Legale. We're going to be talking about issues facing Alberta municipalities, a nearly one and three quarter billion dollar infrastructure deficit. We're going to be talking about violent crime in communities leading up to our Real Talk roundtable tomorrow on Friday. We'll talk to the president of the Uh, Crown Prosecutors Association, and the president of the Criminal Trial Lawyers Association, we're going to be talking about what needs to be done in the province of Alberta and, quite frankly, across the country right now to address escalating rates of violent crime in our communities. We'll talk about the housing and affordability crisis. We're also going to talk about what we saw yesterday. Across the country, thousands and thousands of people in virtually every province showing up either in support of what was marketed or dubbed the 1 million March for Children, as well as the counter demonstrators, those that were coming out to send a clear message in the opposite direction. Now, depending on who you talk to, you'll get different characterizations of what these marches or what this demonstration was all about. Obviously, Those that were participating in support of this Million March for Children were telling you that they were doing it to support the kids. And you could see the placards and the signs that they were presenting. Leave our kids alone. Hands off our kids. Let kids be kids. They were talking about gender ideology, what, what they believe has been, I guess, a, a pollution of the curriculum. They, they believe that, that teachers, to a certain degree, are indoctrinating kids. They think that kids are being pressured to, to become trans, to become gay, to alter their pronouns or alter how they understand their own bodies or themselves. Now, you'll get fair criticism from people that showed up yesterday in good faith, people that show up because they care about their kids and they'll say, how dare you as a commentator or how dare you as a talk show host start talking about what we believe or we think. There's thousands of us, tens of thousands of us coming from diverse backgrounds, diverse perspectives, gathering under one umbrella, and that is support and love for kids. And I bet you for some of the people, Maybe even a lot of the people that participated in this event yesterday, that would be true. But as you can see from if you're watching on YouTube, the signs were showing you or as you likely saw with your own eyes yesterday, if you looked well anywhere with a screen anywhere across Canada, there was a lot of other content on those signs as well. There were a lot of people talking about how vaccine hesitancy can save lives. There were a lot of people talking about, I mean, issues that had nothing to do with kids, young kids, or curriculum being taught in schools. People were throwing around insults like pedo and groomer. How often did you hear that? And in some circumstances, there were loud and angry confrontations between people representing different perspectives there. I could see it unfolding, as could you. Yesterday's episode of Real Talk, by the time that we were in studio putting it all together... Uh, talking to Max Fawcett about it and, and, and sort of unfolding you know, or unpacking what we were seeing in front of us. If, if you missed my conversation with Max, check it out. He thinks that this is all about taking away support from public schools. He thinks that this is part of a bigger picture goal. And of course, you can find that episode anywhere you find Real Talk. But these demonstrations were just starting to happen in eastern Canada. We hadn't seen what was going to happen in our own communities quite yet until we did through the day. And it was, quite frankly, disheartening. It prompted me to tweet yesterday, you know, it's the same faces at rallies against pride, at rallies against the carbon tax, at rallies against vaccine mandates, and a dozen other things. I said, let's be honest about what today is. Politics and ideology, not protecting kids. Now, I heard from a bunch of you. There's like 120 comments. Last time I checked on that tweet, we've got some emails and we've got some comments on our YouTube episode as well, which we appreciate. The whole point of this exercise is to get you thinking. But the more comments that I received, none of them from accounts that had real profile photos of humans or people using their real names, but still... Sent a very clear message right back to me. You know, Tao, for example, said, this is such a smear. You know, my observation, it's almost an instructive example in what a smear looks like. It belongs in a museum of smears, said Tao. I heard from Roddy, who said, oh, look, Ma, another unhinged pedo groomer who wants me to tell secrets and to be his friend. I heard from Guy, who said Ryan is a child groomer that wants kids to lie to their parents. That's concerning. It seems Ryan knows what's best for your kids. Fuck you, Ryan. That from Guy. And I got this from Brock, who is a little more reasonable. And Brock shared with me a tweet from Angus Reed, who founded Angus Reed polling. Angus yesterday tweeted the hate between the extreme right and left inside the culture wars is very concerning. He said, my polling shows that most parents aren't anti-LGBTQ, but want more say over the content placed in front of their kids. And they want to know if their child is switching ID. I think Angus was probably running out of characters on his tweet. And what he's referencing, of course, is if kids are asking their school administrators to adjust their pronouns, if they want to make a change. That's what this is all about. The legislation in New Brunswick and Saskatchewan, right? So I shared with Brock, my conversation just last week with Shachi Curl, who's the president of Angus Reid polling, to let him know that that was on our radar, that we had discussed that with open minds. As a matter of fact, some of you really didn't like that we were open to listening to what polled Canadians had to say. And Brock fired back at me and said, well, then why say this, Ryan? And he referenced my tweet from yesterday about the same faces at rallies against pride, the carbon tax vaccine mandates, and a dozen other things. I didn't respond to Brock on Twitter because my every intent was obviously to gather with you here today and and respond publicly. And that is that I think that there is an enormous difference. I think that there is a Grand Canyon sized chasm between trying to have reasonable, open minded, objective conversations with people that may see things differently and what happened yesterday I do believe that there are parents that probably participated yesterday because they care deeply about their kids. I bet you there were thousands of parents that showed up yesterday because they would do anything for their kids. I bet you that there was a significant number of people that showed up because they don't honestly quite understand what's going on in schools, but they've been told that there's an objective, that there's an agenda, and they're there to push back but they're maybe not fully informed about what this is all about. And then there were the usual suspects. And this, to me, is my message to Brock and everybody else that would wonder, why on earth could you be curious and open-minded last week about what parents across the country had to say about their right to know what's happening in schools and their right to be informed about what's happening with their own children Why could you be open-minded about that and to a certain degree align with some of the polling trends there, but be so critical of yesterday's movement? And the answer is simple. The answer is because the one million March for Children yesterday reeked. There was no discernible element of love anywhere in the mix. There was yelling and shouting, and swearing, and accusations flying, and name calling. And it wasn't just limited to the Million March for Children participants. We've gotten to a point where you're either a pedophile and a groomer, or somebody who's okay with kids dying by suicide. And I'm, quite frankly, very concerned that this appears to be the state of our dialogue. I don't think that yesterday was a productive exercise. As a matter of fact, I dread days like yesterday because we've come to understand in such a polarized climate that days like yesterday are where we need to pick a definitive side, plant our flag, identify the enemy and let them know how we feel about them. Despite the fact that we may be neighbors or former friends or colleagues We've gotten to a point where there's no nuance left. Now, some of you will say there is no decision to be made, no nuance there when we're talking about the safety of marginalized kids. And there you would be right. But we've gotten to a point where I don't think we're even able collectively as a society to process perspectives different than our own Try to understand the other person's place, where they come from, what makes them feel this way, what's contributing to their fear or their anger or their activism. The idea of seeking to understand. We got an email from Allison to talk at ryanjesperson.com and I feel like Allison's speaking for hundreds of thousands of Canadians. She says, Jespo, Johnny, I know you'll likely discuss this issue on Real Talk. And and so I wanted to share how I'm feeling right now after seeing so many heartbreaking images on social media from the so-called Million March for Children. I was shocked and saddened to see images of people across this country holding signs with messaging that was so filled with hate and misinformation, to see a child in Calgary being encouraged to say that, quote, gays are disgusting, into a microphone and having people in the crowd applaud in response to seeing Calgary Mayor Jody Gondek's vehicle swarmed by protesters. Allison says, as a Canadian and a human being who just wants people to feel accepted for who they are, I was both embarrassed and devastated by what I saw. Trans and gay kids across the country are likely feeling a sense of vulnerability at this moment that deserves our utmost attention. And they our unconditional love and support. As heavy as I feel about all this, I want to applaud those who stood up to the hate, to the counter-protesters, politicians, parents, leaders, and kids who stood up with and for the LGBTQ2S plus community. Thank you, says Allison. We truly need more kindness, understanding, and acceptance in the world. Kindness, understanding, and acceptance. That from Allison I take it as an assignment in how we communicate here on the show, in the content that we choose to tackle, and how we process and then present it. But more generally speaking, when we're all talking about fighting to save the kids, fighting for the kids, can we try to keep our focus on the kids? There were so many contributing factors and so much outside noise yesterday that it started to remind me of that yellow vest protest a few years back. You remember that? Where some people in earnest were feeling very, very stressed about the state of the economy, about the state of their personal well-being, financially, socially, and otherwise. And some people in good faith participated in a movement that they believed would catch the attention of federal politicians because it had worked in other places around the world but that movement quickly became hijacked don't you remember with people criticizing or fighting or rallying against the united nations and the world economic forum and climate change and carbon taxes and build you know the sharia law debate that was starting to happen in eastern canada and was making its way west The focus of the participants was hijacked and stolen, and soon that movement became so far different or so dramatically different than what some of the original participants had intended it to be. I don't doubt that thousands of people that showed up yesterday, either to participate in that march or to counter-demonstrate it against it, were doing it because in their hearts they truly believe that what they're doing is right they truly believe that they're doing it for the kids but in the nastiest sense that name calling we saw yesterday suggesting that there's an army of pedophile groomers masquerading as teachers has gotten us to the point where it can't be taken seriously although it's also deadly serious we want to know how you feel about it how it landed with you are you like allison Were you left with a heavy heart? I know I felt that way last night. I felt that way, quite frankly, through the day as we saw it unfolding, wondering if there would be any encouraging developments. Maybe there were on a personal level. Maybe some people felt encouraged at the end of the day by seeing the number of counter protesters show up to encourage young kids that were watching what was happening around them and feeling that inner sense of terror feeling like they were less and less and less able to truly be themselves, there wasn't anything that resembled love yesterday on display. And I hope that that's something that we can all keep in mind as we're talking about this issue moving forward because it's not going away. This is something that demands our attention and something that we need to continue to take a stand on, and that is this that we will continue to as Allison assigned us approach these issues especially ones involving our kids with kindness understanding and acceptance you can send us your thoughts to talk at ryanjesperson.com here here how are you feeling yesterday i only
2: i, I only have one thing to say and that's to me this picture this is what child grooming is to me
0: tell people what they're seeing we're for seeing the podcast it, listeners it's got to
2: be an 8-year-old boy obviously we're not showing his face And he's holding up a sign saying kick the gay out of our country with a Canadian flag. So I I don't think I really want to say anything else today. It was just yesterday was a sad, a very sad day. People are
0: going to sit there and say... And and actually, I'll let people know because I bet you a lot of people can relate to this. You and I, typically, when the show wraps and we start getting into the work of the day and putting together the next day's show, it's a pretty jovial atmosphere in here. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've got Edmonton's best DJ on staff, so we've (laughs) got good tunes going. we got the coffee going. You and I are sharing a few laughs. Sometimes we'll put our feet up on the desk and actually Mm -hmm. have a serious conversation about something. It was very quiet in here yesterday.
2: It wasn't great, and we were listening to the news. We were listening to the radio, and... uh... Uh, you know it continued over the the airwaves if you were listening to you know news or radio or whatever you were listening to the podcasts yesterday people are there's a lot of screaming going on back and forth and uh I don't know it was just a very sad day here in Edmonton across the country and the the only good part was seeing the counter protest being three four or five times bigger because you know it's really just, and I loved what in your rant, like you were talking about, you're seeing these same faces. You know what I mean? I'm not seeing a lot of, you know, I I mean, I am seeing some parents, but I'm not seeing a lot of like, you know, couple I'm seeing, I'm seeing older men, (laughs) religious, you know what I mean? That's the vibe going on, right? It, it doesn't seem like, you know, this, these, these aren't people like protesting a parent teacher meeting. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not a ton of, uh, of couples out there or parents or you know what I mean? And, and what we are seeing is some of that stuff was just horrible yesterday. The kids screaming in the mic in Calgary really down my spine screaming. That about- to me,
0: I feel like kids aren't old enough to know better kids grow up where they grow up and how they grow up. And I just think of a, a trans or non-binary kid. I think of of a young kid that knows their, gay or lesbian. They know they're queer. They're eight or nine or 10 years old. One of my closest, dearest friends on planet Earth is my first cousin down in Calgary. He came out when he was like 19, 20-ish, maybe 21. And I said to him at the time, when did you know? And he goes, he looks at me, he goes, man, I know. <laughs> he goes, I've known the whole time. Yeah. He knew the whole time. There are kids yesterday Probably with their parents on the protesting side of this participating in the march that deep down inside know that the march is targeting kids like them. Mm -hmm. And there are kids yesterday that were seeing this on the news or TikTok or Instagram where kids are going these days to see where they see what's going on in the world around them that right now are wondering if there's a place for them. Mm in their schools, and in their communities. And I feel like yesterday, the focus was so far away from the kids. I mean, if you you go to my Twitter account and you read the replies to my tweet, just read them. Just imagine somebody saying those things in front of kids. They never would. And if they did... They'd be the type of person that didn't deserve to be anywhere near kids. If we're fighting for the kids, let's keep the focus on the kids. And like Allison said, let's do our best to be kind and understanding and accepting in the world. Mm -hmm. I'm going to ask the three mayors that are going to be joining us what they saw in their communities and how they're feeling about this. This is real life stuff, this is real talk. And this happens because of the support of sponsors like our friends at Complete Care Restoration. You're about to see wide shots in the studio. That's a studio that was built by the team at Complete Care Restoration with a professionalism like, I'm going to be quite honest, you rarely see on a job site. I mean, I'm talking about using vacuums while they're drilling into the drywall to make sure there's no dust hitting the floor. Like I know that's one tiny little small isolated example, but sometimes it's the tiny small little things that say a lot. You know what I mean? This is a business that was started more than a decade ago in a garage and it's grown to one of Alberta's biggest and most recognized disaster restoration services. If you find yourself in a gut punch situation, fire, flood, mold, asbestos, make your first call. Complete Care Restoration. Tell them Real Talk sent you. You can dial them up at 780-454-0776. Our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy are hiring right now, and that means if you're an electrician, whether you're an apprentice or you've got your ticket, if you want to work in BC, Alberta, Saskatchewan, they'd love to talk to you. You can check out the careers link at Energy. Ca. Find out what sets them apart. They've got brand new offices in Edmonton and Calgary. They've just been voted as the best solar installer in Kamloops, B.C. They're providing the latest clean energy solutions for homes and businesses. Heck, farms, industrial parks as well. They keep the pace fast and the beer cold at Kubi Renewable Energy. I wanted to show you something super cool on Instagram. You've all heard of Lakeland College, right? Well, they've got this energy school at lakeland college energy you can find it on instagram at lakeland energy look at their most recent post johnny i saw this last night i absolutely loved it because it hit close to home lakeland energy says a big shout out to apex automation for supplying lakeland college with an amazing system to run their production plant their third class power engineering power lab is underway Students are working together in small groups, and that's all because Apex donated and installed new high-end computers, the hardware, the speakers, the monitors. That means that the students are able to practice real-world scenarios in their state-of-the-art lab. This is just another way how Apex Automation is giving back to the community and empowering the next generation of professionals. If you've already got your PNG, you're an engineer looking for a change of pace, you want to work somewhere where you can reach your true career potential, don't hesitate. Check out Apex Automation online today. You'll find them under the Sponsors tab on our website. And Johnny, you know I ducked out yesterday for lunch down at Friesen Brothers. Yeah, why didn't you bring me? Yeah, I know. It was kind of, well, I mean, somebody's <laughs> got to hold down the you're fort paying here. you me back today. Somebody's, I'll pay you back today. We're going to go grab lunch today. So I pop into Friesen Brothers. And of course, I could talk to you about the Alberta produce. They've already got amazing looking pumpkins out. I could talk to you about their real Alberta butchers. I could talk to you about everything else they do. I mean, they have a whole section dedicated to local honey producers. How cool is that? But I want to talk to you about the Alberta Beef Roundup because at the end of this week, it's wrapping up. This is a tradition that Friesen Brothers has been maintaining since 1955. Yeah, that's right. Out of their original Hinton location, still to this day, your chance to check out a couple of different options, including a 50-pound freezer pack. The best part about it, you let their real Alberta butchers know exactly how you want your beef cut. They'll cut it and wrap it for you, and you're set up for the winter into the spring. Stock up your freezer today with the Alberta Beef Roundup at Freezing Brothers. We literally circle these roundtables on our calendar, these Alberta municipalities roundtables, where we get a chance to check in with elected officials from across the province of Alberta and just pick their brains. I mean, we're going to be talking to three mayors here about issues that are relevant, uh, perhaps top of mind in their communities. And not just that, but also what it would take to fix those issues. We're talking about real life stuff, including solutions, which is why I'm always so inspired, especially when this trio gets together. Kathy Heron is the president of Alberta Municipalities, and she's the mayor of the city of St. Albert. But you're only the president for a little while longer. We're going to be talking. How? Do you, are you counting down the days or is it weeks? What are we looking at here? Eight days? Okay.
3: Mixed of sadness and relief. A
0: mix of sadness and, <laughs> and relief. Well, I want to, at some point in our conversation, I want to do a bit of a retrospective and we'll get to your highlights. But let's welcome our other two uh, panelists here today. And this is so great because there's like just this tiny little bit of like competition. The two of you are sitting 18 inches apart because both of you Are campaigning and running to be the next president of Alberta municipalities, which is awesome. Trina Jones is the mayor of the town of Legale, uh, elected to her fourth term on Legale Town Council back in 2021. And and of course, uh, you're the director of Towns East for Alberta Municipalities welcome back it's nice to see you nice to see you again and uh Tyler Gandom, rounding out our round table you also want to be president of Alberta Municipalities you know I'm already like doing the math in my head I got to make sure I give each of you equal time here and then we'll have to welcome Andre Shabbat from Calgary because he's the other one that wants the job right so we'll get him on at some point but you've been serving on with Metasca w- 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 City Council for 10 years now uh also a firefighter and you do a whole bunch in the community uh and then you're uh uh you were uh Alberta Municipalities VP as of November 21 you served Served as a director before that so you've got you've got a, a a long bit of experience uh a ton of experience with this organization it's good to see you
1: good to see you as well
0: did you see anything was there anything going down in with task when yesterday with this million march for kids or no, what was nothing no, no not at all no. were you watching on the news were you watching on social media bit. social
1: media where's your head at i'm uh it's hard to follow it, it the is rant <laughs> yeah it uh it gets pretty frustrating pretty old and i think you nailed it when you said that you're seeing the familiar faces at all of the rallies and all of the things that are going on. And if it's about the kids, then let's make it about the kids. If it's about your beliefs and vaccines and mandates and everything else, out let's make it about that. But I think they're being hijacked by other groups that are using that platform to project their message. Mm-hmm. Did you see anything in LaGalle? Uh,
4: Not personally, no. I've heard some commentary on social media. Um, I was actually in Vancouver yesterday. Oh, wow. Um, so I did see the demonstration there. Uh, we were heading for the airport, and on one side of the road, you see people with signs, I love my kids. On the other side of the road, you see people with signs, I love my kids, Yeah, and the cops in between. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm not sure which side was which, because they were all yelling at each other, but um, I, I guess I'll find out what happens when I get home this afternoon. If you were <laughs>
0: curious, you could have just walked down the middle of the road and said, who's got their booster? <laughs> Who's got their vaccine <laughs> card? I think you could have figured it out pretty quick.
4: Possibly, but um, I, I'm I'm really not sure how to handle it. Honestly, we, we haven't seen anything. Like, I haven't seen anything physically in legal happen lately. But uh, yeah, the social media rhetoric is getting a little out of hand.
0: How about Saint Albert? Uh, Saint
4: Albert's quiet. We,
3: we were pretty um, inclusive of our community of Pride sidewalks, Pride flag. It's it's a good community for our LGBT, sorry LGBTQ, but there's always a small majority that will stand up. You'll, you'll see it on Facebook more than on the streets. I sure. think in Saint Albert, uh, or, and maybe everywhere. Some of the it was in the bigger cities. But your rant, we were sitting in the green room, was hard to listen to. It was really hard. My son, my nephew, has come out in Calgary as trans, mm. but he's struggling with it, and he's actually disconnected from the family because he doesn't know where the support is he doesn't know he doesn't want to be public my sister can't talk to her son and it's really hard I was down there on the weekend and tried to text her sorry and uh, no response because she's she's just disconnected and that that breaks my heart and I see that and I see why I see why
0: Yeah. yeah It's not hard to understand, is it? Sorry. (laughs) It's okay. My sister uh, is gay. Uh, I think everybody knows that, that listens to the show. And uh, uh, Megan's a a counselor. She's a counseling psychologist uh, on the island. And uh, I haven't had a chance to chat. I sent her a note of encouragement yesterday because I was watching on her Instagram stories. She just said, we are resilient. And uh, I don't know if she happened to be in Vancouver or if she made the trip to Vancouver to participate, but it, it was very clear which side she was on yesterday. Um, and, uh, and uh, you know, there, I think families that have loved ones uh, that have lived experience that this is their reality. Uh, you're you're going to feel something uh, very strongly and your decision will be easy. The decision is to go to the wall and if necessary, if necessary, through the wall. Uh, for the people we love and what i was seeing yesterday uh and and like i mentioned and and i guarantee there will be some critics that will say oh don't you both sides this don't you try to both sides this what i am saying what i tried to make clear is that there were people i guarantee it who were participating in that march yesterday in good faith because they love their kids but even those people if they're honest with you will not deny cannot deny that there was a lot of stuff happening around them that's absolutely brutal and that's the stuff that breaks my heart. That's the stuff that had me, and and, and I'm not speaking for Johnny, but I'll say because I saw it yesterday, both of us sitting here with pits in our stomach. Mm-hmm. And I know that that message resonates as well with a lot of real talkers in the community. I want to thank those of you. We didn't read all the emails yet. I, we've, we're saving some for trash talk tomorrow. We've not read all the comments on my tweets. Some of them, I mean, you know, I, I can take a good jab. Uh, sometimes it's good for business, it's good for ratings, and sometimes they're just so brutal that we're not going to put them out there. But that, to me, like I said, doesn't resemble love. That doesn't resemble fighting for the kids. And so that's why I hope that at least... Uh, you know, in in spite of heavy hearts for a lot of people, I can hear it in your voice, Mayor. Uh, you've always been this way, though. May I say, Kathy, <laughs> you've always been this way. Uh, I've known you since before you were Mayor. You're a hard on your sleeve type person, sure. and of course, you're talking about your niece now, right? Yep. You're talking about your family member and how you feel about them. This is personal for you, and
3: it's also personal because I have so many friends that are teachers. I think the teachers have been lost in the conversation. They're going to work every day, being accused of sexualizing kids. And that is not what's happening in schools. We all took sex at school. I remember being pulled out in grade five and learning about getting your periods in boy parts and girl parts. Like we This is not new. The only thing that's been added is, is some sort of acceptance and education for those kids that don't relate to the stereotypical male and female gender. And when, when you see that, when you have a kid one out of 30, let's say, who doesn't relate and they get confused and they go home and they get depressed and then they get into drugs. And then, of course, you do see some suicides. It's not everywhere. But that's how Out Loud in St. Albert was born. Mia Sotart was a uh, friend of my daughter's and just didn't relate to the sex ed and was confused. So we've introduced that acceptance into sex ed. And I think that's a f- phenomenally positive thing. So the teachers are being put under pressure and they're seeing the kids who are struggling.
0: Mm-hmm. So I'm going to turn the page uh, to something, and I I don't know that this uh, subject matter is any lighter, (laughs) Uh, and it's certainly not any less relevant. Uh, It's another challenge facing communities, but I know that the three of you show up here, every single Alberta Municipalities Roundtable, to talk about this stuff and to try to find solutions to these challenges. Uh, What a roundtable we had here last Friday where we were talking about Canada's housing crisis. And we had different voices coming at it from different angles, uh, from the developer angle, from the advocate angle. We had, uh, you know, the politics angle uh, covered to a certain degree. But the beauty here is that we have three communities of different sizes, uh, different geographical locations represented. Uh, Mayor Gandom, you've been on the show many times talking about Wetaskiwin, but punching out of its weight class when it comes to find solutions or, or, you know, endeavoring to find solutions for, for people experiencing homelessness. Uh, This housing crisis that Canadians are experiencing, how is it directly landing in Wetaskiwin? And and maybe if you would, what might be a potential solution that
1: would fit a community of your size? I think we're talking about two different things. The homelessness, the mental health and the addictions that we're struggling with in Wetaskiwin is a little bit different than the the housing crisis that some of the other cities are facing. Um, I struggle with housing first as how we're going to address the issue and address the problem. And you can give somebody a roof over their head, but if you're not giving them the supports that go along with that, the housing will only last so long. So, I mean, it goes much deeper than just putting a roof over somebody's head. Uh, The crisis that we're seeing across the country in Alberta with people who just either can't afford to or don't have the ability to move into their own home is something totally different. I think we have to have a different conversation about both of those, the experiences of homelessness versus the housing crisis,
0: right? Yeah, I don't know that there's I don't know that there's uh, uh, enough differentiation there in the national conversation. To be quite honest with you, um, there's a housing crisis, uh, like you said, at a very basic level. People that, as the temperatures start to drop, we know, um, you know, I see that, uh, you know, for a local reference, we've got the Hope Mission ambulance or whatever they call it. It's a repurposed ambulance that people see in Edmonton. Many of the major cities have these. We've got
1: one in Saskatoon. You do
0: really. Yeah. Wow, absolutely. same sort of idea. Yep. People can call. I mean, here in Edmonton, it's two one one. Is is it they call? A, They've
1: got a, a local number.
0: Okay, so they call a local number, and this is the, the the type of thing they'll they'll show up and, and
1: staff will show up. Many and, times, save a life. Yeah, absolutely. Or when there's a, a group congregating somewhere on a corner, um, they're not safe. They've either uh, not had any food, any water. Uh, they just look distressed. Um, mm. Our community has the ability to call that hope mission number and that ambulance will go out that decommissioned commission ambulance will go out and bring them back to the shelter and make yeah. sure they've got the needs looked after
0: i always try to take 10 seconds whenever necessary on the show to stop and give a shout out to recognize people that are doing ama- amazing work in our communities how about the people on board those repurposed ambulances. Yeah, absolutely. how many people that are doing emotional and mental heavy lifting every single day to keep their fellow citizens alive
1: Yeah, and seeing the same people go through the same struggles every day and not having those supports in place or enough of the supports in place to make sure that the next day they're not going back out in the ambulance to pick them up. Yeah, they can start to see that road to recovery. And I get it. I mean, there's, there's going to be the argument that um, people don't want the help they're They just want to party like the the social inaccuracies and the misinformation that's going on in every community across the country is is heartbreaking as well that when you've seen the kinds of lives that these people have lived or if you understood the trauma that they've gone through from birth until they're in their 20s 30s and if they make it till their 40s is it's heartbreaking and it's not just as simple as well we'll just give them an apartment and they're good to go now they've got a house so everything's fine the trauma that's the undiagnosed and the untreated trauma that's gone along with that is exactly why we are where we are
0: so you've got the the folks that for whom a housing crisis means we're trying to find shelter this is a matter of basic survival you've got the people that that are maybe living you know as we might call what, what do we call them again not, not the invisible homeless but like the folks that are couch surfing yeah, the people, hidden homeless hidden yeah. homeless right these are the people that you don't necessarily see on the street all the time but they're people that haven't had access to housing these are people that are doing everything they can. They're, they're they're trying to get that resume together they're trying to get the job they're trying to get the stability they can to get the down payment together the damage deposit if they can to try to find a place that's an affordable rent and then of course you got many families as well that for them the housing crisis is just a dream of home ownership a dream of a backyard where the kids could play or the dogs could run around, the dream of making an investment, you know, whether or not these nest eggs are going to be what they were for the previous couple of generations mm. or few generations, whether that will be the case moving forward, we don't know. But I would imagine, Mayor Jones, that you're going to tell me that in a community like Legal, a big part of access to affordable housing or attainable housing is also a great retention tool trying to keep young families living in Legal, right?
4: I agree. For us, it's more the for affordability issue. Um, we do see the couch surfing. We do see the hidden homeless, as you call them. Um, but for a young family trying to start out there, they may be in Edmonton or you know, wherever, and they're paying $1,300, 1400 in rent plus utilities, where a mortgage payment, 800 bucks. Mm-hmm. But they can't get the money from the banks to be able to do that. But it's very obvious that they can make those payments. Um so finding an affordable good starter home, you know, something small like mine is out of reach for a lot of people and that's what we're seeing in a lot of small towns.
0: You know, we could talk a lot about I mean there's so many contributing factors here. If people missed our our, our real talk round table on housing, it was just this past Friday, encourage you to check it out because those are the experts, not me. But it's availability that's an issue. I mean, borrowing rates right now are so sky high that for a lot of people, forget about it, right? You might have been able to afford a mortgage. And we became accustomed, didn't we, to like prime minus half a point, <laughs> prime plus half a point. You know, now people are looking at 6% going, what the hell? And people that owned homes or got mortgages in the 80s are going, well, for them, it was like buying houses on credit cards. <laughs> I mean, some people have, have have really seen some wild rates of borrowing. Uh, how is this touching down or impacting your community, Mayor Heron? I mean, I mean St. Albert does yeah. have a bit of a rep- reputation is a, a bit more, it does and it's, it's it's not an unflattering one uh but it's it's it's, it's, it's more of an, it, yep. well it's and it's an affluent community a lot of people really really want to raise their families in St Albert
3: and they're welcome to yeah. and I will
0: make it happen yeah
3: uh, i loved your roundtable i actually made a point of listening to it oh, because thanks. you had jeremy there who gave a very good municipal jeremy
0: Farkas, yeah yeah
3: uh, a municipal uh perspective because lots of people say this is a federal issue and this or it's a provincial issue but i firmly believe that it's a three orders of government issue and so municipalities have tools in their toolbox we can we have land sometimes that we can donate uh we can change our land use bylaws which is huge to you know lessen the parking restrictions or allow for some of those basement suites so this that's why your round table was really key is putting it all together in, in one big package i can go back a little bit to the initial conversation we had about pride and we're trying in st albert to build a youth transitional home for for the kids who are not who are couch surfing and i can tell you a majority of those kids that are house surfing in st albert have come up to their parents so that's why they're not housed so they need somewhere to go so this youth transitional home that we're going to build will probably see a lot of uh, lgbtq clients and then we'll have to have those wraparound supports for them get them graduated get them a job get the resumes teach them how to make craft dinner whatever it takes balance a checkbook and then they can transition into maybe some subsidized housing and then habitat for humanity is a fantastic model where you can own and make a mortgage payment but it just it just helps you gives you that bump up to the then the market so there's so many tools in our toolbox um and we just need to work together as three orders of government.
0: I remember, and I shouldn't sort of freewheel with statistics, uh, but but I seem to remember, I think it's accurate, talking to Margot Long. She's the executive director at uh, Youth Empowerment Support Services, previously known as the Youth Emergency Shelter Mm -hmm. in Edmonton. People are familiar with that and and their long legacy. She told me that more than 75% of the young people that utilize their services are LGBTQ uh, members of that community. Isn't that heartbreaking? Three out of four. No. And the number may be higher. Mm-hmm. And so it really reiterates the importance of finding solutions here. I feel like we need to joke around about something okay. because this is really, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm serious. But but you know what? I know that the audience is here with us and, and here for these conversations. The whole point of talking about this is finding out what's going to be best for our communities. Can we talk? I mean, I want to I I talk about violent crime in a bit. Uh, that's not where I'm going for humor <laughs> or to lighten things up. But because tomorrow we do have a a remarkable opportunity, it's a very rare opportunity to have the leadership, the presidents of two different associations, the Crown Prosecutors and the Criminal Defense Lawyers that are gonna be joining us, one in studio, one via Zoom. Uh, they, they've cleared their mornings to make this happen, and we want to talk about crime in communities. But before we do, we're talking about building. We're talking about developing these communities. And you collectively, as, as Alberta municipalities, have have a pretty strong message for the provincial government. And it's probably not just limited to the province, is it? I mean, you're, w- when I see the number $1.75 billion, and it's not in the right direction, when, when the numbers are red, and we're talking about infrastructure deficits— You get this almost like a shot of adrenaline, but not in a good way. It's kind of like this panic response where you go, hang on a second. I remember a while ago on this show under the the previous uh, conservative government, uh, Finance Minister Jason Nixon talking about wondering about what Alberta was going to do with a $13 billion surplus. And now we're talking about a nearly two billion dollar deficit in infrastructure in our communities. I want to make sure that the average Albertan, the average Western Canadian, for that matter, understands what we're talking about. Can you take us into this number?
3: <clears throat> one point seven five. Sure. We we have estimated about a thirty billion dollar deficit. What? Yes. So the one point seven five would be an annual injection into municipalities to try to uh, alleviate that deficit. I don't want to get too in the weeds because this can get really technical but we have a grant called um it's going to be called the local government fiscal framework lgff for short in the budget for 2024 722 million dollars that is a billion dollars too low is is our position it is supposed to originally compensate for the for the fact that we collect education property taxes on the province's behalf so when the programs first started municipalities across alberta were collecting about 1.2 million went up 2 billion sorry um and now it's up to 2.5 billion so there's actually some municipalities that think we should be getting 2.5 billion back we've settled on a number of 1.75 billion and we can justify that we can talk about what it was originally promised to be and, and inflation and cost of living and or, or per capita funding we can i can i can stand in front of ministry of municipal affairs which i did yesterday and asked them again and justify this number and if we could get that number whether it goes to an urban community, a summer village, or the city of Edmonton, we're just going to try to cover off that deficit. St. Albert's going to build a youth transitional home with that money. We're going to build roads. We're going to build fire halls and fire trucks. And if without that, we're, our quality of life in in Alberta is going to diminish. And you're going to have a community like Legale, who needs a doctor. I don't, I'm, I'm assuming you need doctors in LaGalle yeah. or, or the... How do you attract a doctor to come and live in a remote community in Alberta when there's no good swimming pool, when there's no good scouts, you know, like for their kids? It's quality of life stuff that we're talking about. And and municipalities are responsible for 60% of the public infrastructure in this province, 60%. And we get about eight to 10 cents on the dollar to try to maintain and grow. So this is a huge issue for us.
0: What's it like big, when we say, so you got a community like Legale, I was a little nervous on your behalf where she was going like that. <laughs> if you let all the funding dry up, you got a community like LeGal. I know that's not what she's saying. I know you're sure proud to be the mayor of LeGal. But, but, but how is this actually relevant? Like like paint a picture for us. What do we do? No hypotheticals here. What, how is this impacting your community, this deficit?
4: Uh, basically, this means for our residents, we're going to have to raise taxes. We're going to have to take out debentures. We're going to have to cut services. Uh, it means we can't build the critical infrastructure we need um we're deferring roads projects deferring a waterline project An arena. <laughs> my arena project <laughs> that i haven't shut up about for. The you, last well hey <laughs> but
0: you know that's how you get people's attention right yeah. and well, i'm not even trying to be funny yeah. like if you talk to people like mayor heron just said people that are making a decision right they, they could go to legale or they could go to lethbridge or they could go for that matter to halifax they're yeah. going to start looking at amenities
4: well so for us Perfect example. We got 7.1 billion or 7.1 million. Sorry, (laughs) take the B out of there. But we got 7.1 million from the federal government uh, for a $9.2 million project. We went to the province asking for a little bit of help. But since that happened in 2021, the price escalation has hit 13 and a half million. So if we don't have the funding we need, our arena literally falls apart. Uh, We don't have that amenity. We don't have a community space. We don't have our hub. We don't have the services we run out of that because we can't afford to build it. How is
0: this impacting folks that are living in and around Wetaskiwin?
1: Very much the same. We've got a city that's over 100 years old. We've got old infrastructure. We've got... Um, some amenities that we could upgrade as well. Our arena is fairly old, not quite to the point where it needs to be replaced yet, but definitely something that has to happen. And if we're going to attract people to the province, and I look at other communities like Airdrie and Leduc and Beaumont who are growing so fast, facing a double-digit tax increase to address the infrastructure for that growth. And so if we want all these people to come and move to Alberta because it's so wonderful, well, then we have to have a place for them to go as well
0: it's you you're all in a tough position as well at the at the municipal level right because when budgets are coming together and we're talking about mill rates and there's a there's a lot of people and this is not really anybody's fault you know, we always talk about everybody's like I mean, I think even in our family like we got to make sure I'm trying to make sure that like my son has what he needs in his bag to go to soccer practice and I don't forget his water bottle. We're trying to make sure that we don't miss submitting something to make sure he's registered for whatever and that. You know what I mean? People are just trying to do they're just trying to manage their everyday lives. And for a lot of people, maybe they drop in on the headlines or they can listen to every third or fourth episode of of real talk to try to stay in the mix. But but not everybody geeks and nerds out on politics like we do. But what they do see is all of a sudden their property taxes are up at nine percent, ten percent. Like we're talking about hypothetically or potentially. And then all of a sudden there's outrage, right? It puts uh, municipal political leaders like the three of you in a really tough spot.
1: Yeah, just to be clear, what was not proposing a nine or ten percent increase? Just- <laughs> I, tr-
0: I tried to say hypothetically, very strongly, very loudly. But the fact that we're even talking about that right because because I, and I think that the average person does understand this to a certain degree but municipalities are in a different boat right you can't you can't borrow the city of St Albert can't go borrow 600 million dollars to do something like 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 the province can
3: exactly and we can't run a deficit that's that's the key thing is we have to balance the budget at the end of every year and uh, you know some of us keep reserves you've heard what's going on in Emmetton, they're pulling 74 million dollars out of reserves to compensate for this deficit uh, and we can't borrow money but we have restrictions under provincial legislation on how much so and and there's there's good times to borrow money for a long-term project like an arena or rec center sure. but not maybe for a pothole and if you have to borrow money to fill your potholes then that's when we got a problem it's like yeah. if
0: you yeah it's like for a family if if, if, no. if your family's operating budget is on a credit card you right. know that it's only a matter it's okay of time or money you, for a house you got to pay the piper right right so so describe for me your your conversations with or or your the, you know alberta municipality's relationship with the province i mean what do, you know minister of municipal affairs rick mciver uh, he's he's in an interesting position as well having been they used to call him alderman but now a counselor in the city of calgary he's been a municipal politician he's now in a very high profile uh, role uh, under the daniel mm-hmm. smith government i mean is, is this uh you know can i say is it is it blood from a stone this ask
3: I'm starting to think, no, I'm actually starting to think they're hearing us. I I I, honestly, one billion dollars, even some of the local elected in Alberta think, wow, that's a big ask, we're never going to get that. But I'm actually starting to feel a little bit of movement. I met with the minister on Monday, came to my state of the city yesterday. I was I was on the stage hammering about infrastructure and he was nodding his head. So that to me is a good indication. Uh, I think the premier. It's good uh, he didn't walk out. That's good. Yeah, Yeah. he's a good guy. I think the premier has heard it too. She's talked about actually maybe returning all that $2.5 billion in, in education property taxes to us. It's in the mandate letter to municipal affairs. So she talked about it during her leadership campaign. So I think there is some recognition that uh, without municipalities at, as a good partner, there's going to be a big problem in Alberta.
0: How much of how much of this is going to? Uh, I mean, is this going to dominate? conversation at this this uh, Alberta Municipalities Convention at Trade Show. <laughs> Mayor Jones, you just about gave yourself a headache. I'm... Quickly, you were nodding your head. You're going, oh, yeah, this is this is running. Uh, so that was hilarious. Uh, September 27th through the 29th. Um, and, and people can check out more uh, by visiting. And let me put the website up here so people can see it at abmunis.ca. You can learn uh, a whole lot more about what Alberta Municipalities does and supporting communities across the province. But but this is kind of top of the list. This is front and center.
4: Oh, absolutely. Uh, we actually have a special resolution coming from the board uh, that we want our uh, members to endorse for the $1.7 billion. Uh, on top of that, we have a resolution coming forward to allow municipalities the ability to uh, go back to the low-cost loans so mm-hmm. that we can afford these these projects. We're going to use our LGFF funding for for the major stuff. And we're going to work and we're going to save the money and we're going to take out the debentures to get the projects built. But we can't do that without the government.
0: Yeah. Um, Do you get the sense that there's a spirit of collaboration here? I mean, there's obviously like, can can we say uh, it's beneficial for everybody, though? I don't know that the average citizen wants to see municipalities and the province and the feds always fighting or passing the buck or pointing the finger. Like when it all comes down to it, the average person is going to say there's only one taxpayer and we expect all of our elected representatives to work with, you know, toward what's best for our communities. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And I think with municipal government knowing and understanding what the municipality and their community's biggest needs are, it's why we have that relationship with the province. It's why we have the relationship with the federal government. Everybody's trying to get to the same thing. We've got communities that want to be healthy. We've got communities that want to attract people in. Whether you're a city of over a million or a town of, of a thousand people, it doesn't matter. We need to be attractive to everybody. And if we want our province to grow and be healthy and successful, then we all have to be successful. And it doesn't matter who is paying for it. The fact is, we understand what the needs are of our communities. We see it every day. We're in the grocery stores talking to our residents, what the problems are, what the, the solutions could be. And we need to make sure that that information is available to the provincial government.
0: Um let me talk to you about what else is good for communities and that's just a feeling of safety i know here in our home city of edmonton uh, i want to welcome all three of you to the city of edmonton I appreciate all three of you making the trip in this morning to be here um there's obviously some very real problems uh, very obvious uh there are people that and i'm not this isn't some sort of fear factor exercise this isn't me uh trying to capitalize on on people's fears and insecurities for ratings it's a fact uh, that people don't feel safe riding on Edmonton transit, people don't feel safe downtown, and there's a lot of people that are working very hard to turn that trend around. Uh, you're a firefighter, I, I wanna tell you a, a one sentence story uh, about a friend of mine who drives a ladder here in Edmonton. They responded to a, a huge structure fire in Edmonton uh, just last week, fully involved building as they showed up. They're using the ladder to rescue people and save people off their balconies. Guy shows up with a sawed-off shotgun to the active scene and is shot dead by police uh, because he was uh, they feared going to target firefighters. I'm not sure that that story has gone as public as no. it should, uh, but uh, first responders aren't feeling safe in the city right now. There are going to be recruitment issues. Who wants to be a police officer right now? Who wants to be a firefighter or a paramedic right now? The opioid crisis is absolutely out of control. We're gonna be talking to people on both sides of the courtroom tomorrow, the prosecution and the defense, and I wanna be able to tell them what Alberta mayors are saying about crime in their communities. How did that story resonate with you as a firefighter and as a mayor?
1: Sadly, not surprising. Um, You see paramedics who are wearing stab-proof vests Uh, in our command trucks in a small city of 13,000 people have the ability to wear uh, a stab-proof vest when responding to a medical call because there is that fear i've I've been in situations where heat, the, heat of the moment you're performing CPR um, administering narcan and not totally aware of your surroundings and that very easily could have been me or anyone else who was put in that situation so sadly not surprising so I don't know what what we need to do to to help protect those who are there to protect us, uh, but something definitely needs to change for sure. It's I live in a city now where over the last six years have been identified as Alberta's most dangerous city. Our crime severity index, our CSI for 2022 was 367.8 or something like that, over three and a half times the provincial average.
0: Can you give me a sense of like, or for the average person, a sense of what that actually means?
1: That means that we our, our crime rate per capita um, is three and a half times greater than what the provincial average would be. So okay. I, would, I would look at a city like Camrose. I think they were right around the provincial average or maybe a little bit under. We would see three and a half times the amount of crime in Wetaskiwin than Camrose. Wetaskiwin's
0: not that far away from Camrose. Nope. What's the difference?
1: I don't know. De- uh, demographics, social, economic, uh, education, all of those play to factors of it. Uh, not addressing the mental health and the addictions take a everybody there's a big machine of everybody trying to make our community safer and when one part of that machine isn't functioning like everything else should be then you get a backlog so right now we've got an emergency shelter in place that are helping people with mental health and addictions we've got 10 extra rcmp members who are helping address the number of calls our city responds to compared to the provincial average we've got a a, a enormous hospital for a city of our size, but because of our shadow population between the county and Muskegee's. So we've got all these things working for us for the good. And then we get situations like a few weeks ago, uh, 35 out of 45 criminal charges dropped out of court in one week. So we've got a backlog, a shortage, um, an inability to address the crime that's going on. And that then stops everything else that's been working in our favor to try to address all of those issues that we've got going on and i'm not saying that everybody needs to go to jail who commits a crime we can't police our way out of this but there needs to be something else happening to help all of the other agencies that are doing work in our community to to keep it or to try to make it a safer place and i'm not saying that with is unsafe i think that you can put a spin on any statistic and say that 367.8 as a crime severity index makes you an unsafe city and that's not the case at all it's us fighting with drug dealers and gangs and um, all of the petty crimes that go on Well, alone, a petty crime isn't going to increase your crime severity index a lot. But when you've got 80 plus people who have identified as homeless, stealing for a drug addiction for food or water or anything else like that. Well, if you've got 200 calls of those in a week, that completely changes your crime severity index. You've got a higher number than average uh, domestic violence rate in and I saw. I think it was a regional municipality in Ontario that declared um, an epidemic of domestic violence. And I checked the numbers on it, and they were. I can't remember. They're a city of over two million people, and the number of files they had for domestic violence. I looked at what we were presented for the number of files we had for domestic violence based on our population. And we were twice what they were. Mm. And I look at a homeless population. So Edmonton has advertised, not advertised, Edmonton has identified that they see about 2,800 people who identify as being homeless in the city of Edmonton with a population of over a million. If I even go at just 80 people in Wetaskiwin at a population of just under 13,000, we have twice the number of homeless population in Wetaskiwin than the city of Edmonton per capita. I guarantee that would surprise people to hear that. We would rival any big city in North America for our homeless population per capita. Yeah, And so we struggle with the mental health, the addictions and the crime rate that goes along with it. And it's not just Wetaskiwin. You're seeing smaller communities like Edson, Slave Lake, um, Leduc is starting to now a little bit. Uh, I was surprised to hear last fall, Spruce Grove reached out to my administration and I to go and talk to them about the growing number of homeless people that they're seeing in Spruce Grove. And again, another, what you would feel as a well-to-do community that wouldn't be experiencing homelessness is definitely seeing homelessness. It's happening everywhere and numbers are climbing everywhere and it's, it's not gonna get any better. <laughs>
0: And isn't it interesting whether we're talking about the opioid crisis, whether we're talking about homelessness or or a lack of affordable or attainable housing or anything else, we quickly recognize and realize that no community is immune from the challenges. Doesn't matter the size of the community, right? You know, every once in a while, a, a comment will hit our live chat and just stop me in my tracks. And I love what Sylvia says here. She says, crime is a reflection of the pain in the community. I've never heard somebody put it like that, but I appreciate that comment. Uh, Lauren says catch and release is dangerous for our communities. Lauren, you better believe we're going to be talking about that tomorrow. Uh, By the way, I happen to know he's a retired uh, district chief. He's a a firefighter for many years. He says many do want to be first responders, but they need to be funded and properly protected to ensure their safety. And then there's this gut punch uh, from Tracy, who says my 20 something kids, three of their friends went through. The first responders paramedic program, all three decided to not work in the field because they perceive it to be too dangerous. Three people. Now, I don't even call I don't call education or healthcare, care, uh, including first response. I don't call those jobs. I call them callings uh, because I don't believe that you leave those jobs when you clock out. I believe that that's something that you carry with you uh, in both positive and negative ways. Um, and I think that that's such a, a really disappointing statistic to hear. About. Now, that's anecdotal. But to hear that you had three young people, I bet they were talented, empathetic young people drawn to that career in the first place that all decided that it wasn't for them. On the flip side, good for them for recognizing it wasn't for them. If more young people could make those realizations earlier, I mean, that's something that sometimes takes a little bit more time. Violent crime in legal What's the reality?
4: Thankfully, not a big one. Uh, We do have domestic violence cases. We have had... um, And I got to be careful what I say, because I do know the specifics from small town. People talk. Right. Um, There have been some pretty severe incidents lately. Um, What our problems come down to is a petty crime, as Tyler mentioned. It's a symptom of everything else that's happening. Yeah. And when we have mental health addictions, uh, the couch surfing. And of course, we don't we, we don't have the services to be able to identify these folks who need help. So, they have to volunteer to come in and and talk to maybe our FCSS coordinator. But the ultimate reality is for somebody like us who can't offer those services, we're uh, sending them to St. Albert or Edmonton. Uh, Westlock's uh, taking a lot of our folks in because they have the the services available. Um, And it's frustrating. Um, Our FCSS girl, we have one girl, uh, she tries to do as much as she can. But it, she has to go beyond her mandate as preventative services. I know is
0: it, that's is that family child support yep. services. Family okay. Yeah. Okay. So family community yeah. support. Okay. So
4: she's supposed to be taking a proactive role, to you know, uh, with you know, working with the food banks and we're, you know, we're doing that kind of stuff. But she's having to take on more of an intervention role, which a she's not trained for, b it's beyond her mandate, c we now have to pay extra for, and d we end up shuffling them off to the bigger cities. Uh, which causes an additional burden on them as well.
0: St. Albert. Um, it's uh, I mean, I mean, for, for people that don't know people that might be listening to other parts of the country or other parts of I mean, St. Albert and, and Edmonton, I know you don't like me putting it That's this okay. way. It, it, it's separated by a road, yeah. like, like an intersect. You go through the intersection and then you're in St. Albert. So I would imagine that the, you know while while there are some differences in the two communities there are some similarities as well when we're talking about crime or, or violent crime um as the mayor of the city of st albert how does that land with you
3: we're generally actually pretty safe community we've been ranked one of the safest in alberta and, and even hit the canada's list a couple of times so it's hard for me to speak from a mayor's perspective with okay. a lot of a lot of edmonton police officers live in st albert because right. it's safe and they, and they realize that but from a provincial perspective i think um when you talk about the healthcare system, and we've focused in the last couple of years on ambulance um, response times, but it's a, it's a whole system. Lack of family doctors, so the people can't go to the, get their treatment, the initial, so then they call an ambulance, and then you get to the emergency room. They can't take them out of emergency to put them in, in the hospitals because the hospitals are full of seniors that need to go long-term care Right. system. Same with the justice system. So your tomorrow is going to be interesting because that's the end of the road when you finally hit the court system. But what, ask them tomorrow, people that are showing up in, in the courts, could it have been prevented by mental health supports? Could it have been prevented by, you know, getting some addiction supports? Could it have been prevented by having a roof over their head? Because, again, it's the end of the road when you're in the court system, maybe repetitively in the court system. Uh, Trina was telling us in the green room about a person in Lagalle that generally spends the winter in
4: jail and then summer couch surfing huh it's that's their life choice uh, he knows yeah. summertime he can hang out you know uh, with his friends and whatever but come wintertime, uh, that's not really an option so where is it going to be warm and where is he going to get food yeah that's so sad it is yeah
0: like that's so brutal you know Sorry, I don't have anything more profound. That's just, that's just that's just my human response, and 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 then like let's not ignore the fact that that's that's very uh, sad uh, for that person, but also how are they going to get into jail? They got to go do something, mm-hmm. right? Which is also very lamentable. Uh, mm-hmm. That's something that has consequences for people in the community. To state the very obvious,
4: uh, yeah, it results in you know come. You know, October-ish, you know, somebody's truck gets stolen or somebody's lawn equipment gets stolen. Yeah. And unfortunately, in the past, he's not done anything to hide it, um, which means he- Because the end
1: goal is to get arrested.
4: And he is no longer welcome in our community. <laughs> um, people have made that very clear to him.
1: But what does that mean? He's uh, somebody else's problem. Yeah. Yeah.
4: We're, we're shuffling him yeah. off to somewhere else. And it, it's frustrating. you, a nice guy, but- there has been addictions issues, homelessness issues. He has nowhere to stay in town and he can't get the sports he needs. And it results in this. And it, yeah.
0: It's so fascinating. This is why I really appreciate these Alberta municipalities roundtables because I mean, you're the, how many, how many folks in LaGalle? Like a few thousand? Is that? About
4: 1,300.
0: 1,300. Okay. So like, when you're talking about like an, an, an issue of of sort of like the perpetual nature of this revolving door, you, you're talking about like one specific person that it sounds like everybody in town knows about, oh, yeah. right? And then you come here to Edmonton and it's just more of like, it's it's kind of, and I've got to be careful how I phrase this because I don't mean to sound insensitive, but it's, it's a little bit more of a faceless issue in the sense that people are talking about like, I don't feel safe on public transit. They're not saying like, because of Bernie, that's always down there at, at, City Hall, like they're not talking about one person. They're talking about more of of kind of like a general issue. It's just it just reiterates to me the different perspectives and the different communities that are represented around this roundtable. And I really appreciate it, quite frankly. Um, There's there's set to be a change of leadership at the Alberta municipalities. And again, by the way, before we go in, before we get into this, I want to let people know again, um, all three of our panelists here today uh, give up their time and participate in in different leadership roles with our Alberta municipalities. And you can, But you can learn more about what the organization is doing and the issues facing our communities by checking out their website It's very well organized at abmunis.ca. Of course, we'll have the link in the show notes, but you can dig into that $30 billion deficit. You can You can find out more about what Albertans think about a provincial police service. Of course, <laughs> we're going to talk about that tomorrow as well. You know, 85% of Albertans say they want to vote on that. Two out of three Albertans polled say that they think that it will not reduce crime to replace the RCMP with the Provincial Police Service. Obviously, we'll go there tomorrow with our two roundtable guests. You've been president for what, two, two years, two years, yeah. right? It's a two year term. Mm-hmm. Um, you've obviously had a prominent leadership position. I mean, being a mayor of a, a community is one thing to be the president of, of, of a, a group like Alberta Municipalities is a whole other thing. When, when you look back, uh, what's something that's happened over the past couple of years that you're very proud of? What's a development or an advancement that's been made that you'll look to and say, we did something good there?
3: There's, there's a lot. Um, I, I would say I've learned a lot from uh, my board. They're amazing. We have big cities and we have summer villages. And it's it's a hard balance, but we I think we manage it quite well and finding the common ground. Um I ran for president with a real hope of bridging the divide between the urban municipalities and the rural. Um, I I would like to say we've gotten a little bit better, but at the same time, there's still a really big rub um, between the two associations. And I'm hoping the next president will carry that forward to try to continue to bridge that. Because without strong towns and villages, so I'm pretty sure Legale supports a lot of the agriculture and um, county Sturgeon County. They're the hub. That's where they're going to go for groceries, their doctor and their post office, etc. So without a strong legal, the counties are not going to survive. And and this is an Alberta issue. We did change our name at the very beginning of my presidency to say Alberta municipalities. And although we don't officially represent the MDs and counties, I feel like I do. I honestly feel like I can't talk about what's good for Alberta without talking about what's good for both of us. The urban and the rural so that's kind of i think what i've learned and hopefully maybe pushed that agenda slightly um r- relationships with the provincial government have gone up and down um, we're so adamant on being nonpartisan at the local level that it's hard sometimes to to make inroads with the provincial government but as i said earlier i, I see some support for infrastructure funding i know the premier really supports um, fcss funding which in the end prevention is the key in my opinion so fcss funding is something that she believes and then i hope that the next president carries forward well the good news yeah. is
0: is that we had thousands and thousands of people yesterday coming out and telling us that they care very deeply about the kids yes. and so i would i would suppose uh, that i would assume that we'll have armies of people ready to demand that there's appropriate funding for fcss when the budget talk comes around wouldn't you think
3: absolutely and and I think it'll happen. And when I look at the two people across the table from me, both running for my position, if this was the premier and Rachel Notley, this would not be as cohesive. These two get along fantastic. Either I will, I can't campaign for either one of them because I love them both, and I support them both. And I've told the entire board whoever wins is going to be really a strong leader. So these two are going to be. They're going to be
0: great. All right. So uh, here, here we go. <laughs> uh, we've now reached the bonus round. Uh, Mayor Jones, why are you a better choice than Mayor Gandom? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, when you are talking to your uh, fellow delegates, your fellow elected representatives, your participants at this annual convention that's coming up uh, starting September 27th, uh, people are going to ask, well, if you want my vote, you know, if you want to be president of Alberta municipalities, What's it gonna look like? What are your top priorities? What stamp are you gonna put on that leadership role? What's one top priority that you're gonna to bring to the table?
4: When I first ran for the board in 2017 and got my director position, I made a promise to all my talents about communication. Um, I think, I I mean, that's always kind of been my thing, but even going forward, not just communication to our members, communication to RMA, communication to the other provincial associations, the governments, both levels of uh, the other governments. I think having that back and forth not only creates the collaboration, creates the cooperation, creates dialogue and creates the understanding. So I think that's going to be my highest priority anyways.
0: Mm. Uh, Mayor Gandom, same question, what stamp do you intend to put on that office? What would be your top priority? What, 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 what would your leadership theme be?
1: My focus is gonna be relationships, whether that's with the rest of the association, the board, the executive, all of the committee members, um, the provincial government, the federal government, uh, RMA, the Métis Nation, and just bringing in communities together. That was something that I really wanted to focus on as a mayor in Witasquin. Uh Myself and one of the counselors from Samson got together early and said, we're going to show our communities that leadership can work together. And so if leaders can work together, why can't the rest of the community? And I want to just take that on a different level and make sure that if you're a summer village or one of the big cities that you're going to have an ally, an advocate for you, somebody who's going to support you in what you're working on and who's going to have an understanding of what it is that you're working on and with and some of the roadblocks. And I'm going to offer a different perspective. And if I, if I can't do that, then I'm going to know somebody who does or who has the ability to help you out with whatever you're working on. So I want to build bridges. I want to build those relationships. And I just want everybody to get along. Kindness goes a long <laughs> way. It's not that difficult.
0: I'm, re- I'm reaching down here because I wanted to grab Allison's email again. I bet you when Allison wrote this in to us at 10 o'clock last night, she didn't think maybe that her closing sentence was going to be the driving force behind this entire episode we truly need, she wrote, more kindness, understanding, and acceptance in this world. Isn't that great? That's a call to action. I love that. Um, I'm going to pull such a BS move here, and I'm going to endorse both of your campaigns <laughs> to be president, because I feel like I know, I know you on air. I know you on the record, and I know both of you a little bit off the record, and I know that both of you, and you as well, Mayor Heron, obviously, uh, passionate, passionate community members uh, whose commitment to your communities goes above and beyond the call of duty and i have such a world of respect for that and i look forward to congratulating whoever it is that wins i know that no matter what uh or how that vote unfolds that it's going to be a good and solid direction forward building on the momentum that was already created at Alberta Municipalities. Um, again, the, the the call to action, I guess, for for our audience members is to get involved in your community. And if you're looking for a way to better understand some of these issues or to focus your efforts, again, the great resource is the Alberta Municipalities website, Strength in Numbers, that's abmunis.ca. I mean, like Mayor Heron just said, from the smallest village to the largest city and Edmonton playing host to this convention coming up, I should mention, uh, before Red Deer gets to play host next year uh representing 85 percent of Alberta municipalities where 85 percent of albertans live i mean that is a strong uh, uh, and loud and important voice in furthering these conversations and making things happen thanks to the three of you for hanging out with us today i know that like this wasn't exactly like uh 100 jovial and 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 fun (laughs) uh but at the same time that's not what this show is is all about all the time Uh, we want to sink our teeth into real stuff and have real conversations with people that understand uh, what it looks like to endeavor to find real solutions. And that certainly characterizes the three of you. Thanks for being here. <laughs> uh, that's Mayor Kathy Heron out of St. Albert. She's the uh, outgoing uh, president of Alberta Municipalities. Trina Jones is the mayor of the town of Legale, wants to be pres, uh, as does Mayor Tyler Gandom uh, out of Wetaskiwin. Safe journey home to all the, the three of you. Thanks for doing this.
1: Thanks for having us. Thanks
0: you bet. Much. Again, that's abmunis.ca. You know, all this talk about affordable Housing, all this talk about inflation and what families are dealing with right now, it, it's, uh, it seems to me to be a uh, perfect time uh, to remind you about the thousands of members of the Civic Service Union 52 in Edmonton. That's CSU 52. Uh, they're basically asking for your support. I mean, it's as simple as that. If you go to edmontonforeveryone.ca, uh, you can check out their campaign. This is a group that is essentially trying to get the attention of Edmonton City Council. It, it's why they're here on Real Talk to to be honest with you why because more than 80% of their members have not seen a pay raise in 5 years that means with inflation factored in they've all taken pay cuts these are the people that are you know operating like the, the arenas these are the people that are answering the phone calls to 911 I mean if the cost of an egg breakfast is up like you can see on their website 7% and you don't have a 7% pay increase then what are you going to do if the cost of vegetarian chili is up 8%, even if you're making it at home, but you haven't had a cost of living increase at your job, well, you know what happens. Never mind steak and potatoes. Can you believe that from 2018 to 2023, the cost increase on a steak and potato homemade dinner is up 44%? These are just real life examples of how inflation factors into the mix. And for the members of CSU 52, well, they call the call to... You is simple. You can show your support to them. Let Edmonton City Council know they deserve a raise by visiting edmontonforeveryone.ca. This message is presented by the members of CSU52. Our friends at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park want you to know that September's Blizzard of the Month is the snickerdoodle cookie dough blizzard treat. And John, it's officially been voted as the funnest blizzard to say. The funnest blizzard to introduce in DQ history.
2: You're a snickerdoodle.
0: Oh, you're a cute little snickerdoodle there, (laughs) you cookie dough monster. (laughs) This is sugar, spice, and everything nice blended into the, you got it, snickerdoodle cookie dough blizzard treat. The flavor's a hit year-round, but something about fall calls for a cinnamon-sugar combo. That's why you're going to want to get to the Dairy Queen in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, or in Sherwood Park at Baseline Road. You let them know that Real Talk sent you to go check out September's blizzard of the month if you're a decision maker and we know that there's a lot of you that are working for municipalities or owning and operating businesses in municipalities specifically listening to this episode if you're looking to save money on your bottom line when it comes to your garbage and recycling <laughs> never mind fencing or portable toilets or, or landfill services or water hauling i mean they do it all at local environmental services out of edmonton out of Whitecourt, out of regina saskatchewan they are your full service environmental solutions partner And it's more, it's about more than just saving money. I mean, their services, of course, include everything that your business needs to operate, but they also understand serving their communities better, contributing to local causes. They've got an entire arm of the business dedicated to philanthropy, community involvement. The Mayor of the Mall Initiative at West Edmonton Mall is just one example of how local environmental services is giving back. You can request a quote today. Let them know that Real Talk sent you at Local localenvironmental.com ca if your interior needs an overhaul if you're sick of having a pile of hoodies on the ground the socks mixed in with the undies mixed in with the cufflinks mixed in with the watches yes john i am describing my own closet 10 years ago before we called california closets we got the free consultation just like you can and then their design team went to work to completely transform our living space. Yeah, I'm sure it increased the value of our home, but it increased the livability of it and we're thrilled about that. They're also in the garage game. And for a lot of people, this is the time of year when you're realizing that the garage is about to take on a whole new role. The snow tires are going on the car, which means you gotta find somewhere for the summer tires. The bikes are gonna get put somewhere. You even know where your shovel is right now? Uh, What about everything else? the garage is the workhorse of the home you can make it work for you with a custom garage storage solution designed by the team at california closets and for those dog lovers out there cat lovers as well i want to remind you about what's going on at grand dog essentials quality raw food they have a couple of specials happening for the month of september only and that includes their most popular Raw pet food blend. That's the beef bison raw pet food blend. You can check it out by visiting the shop now link at granddog.ca. Also wanted to quickly tell you about the Mine Pet Platter. This is what our dogs, Moses and Monroe, use. It's not a standard doggy dish. This is a really, really neat invention designed to unleash the instinctive eating behavior of dogs and cats. It can be used with any type of pet meal or treat, including kibble, It's colors that your animal can see. It takes some of the speed out of eating. You know, we all want our dogs and cats to take their time while they eat. It helps the digestive process. The Mind Pet Platter is designed to do exactly that. They're 25% off for the month of September at granddog.ca. And if you're looking to hook up that beef and bison raw pet food blend as well, take 10 bucks off with the promo code september 2023 and you can use that promo code all the way through till the end of september at granddog.ca i feel like we covered a lot of ground with the mayors today but it also sort of gives me a strange feeling after discussions like that because we go affordable housing go violent crime go <laughs> Infrastructure deficits go. And you realize that these are enormous subjects. Yeah. Uh, talking about budgets in the tens of billions of dollars. Uh, and a lot of times I think the value of what we're doing here is just getting the conversation started and reminding our listening or our viewing audience what's happening if they want to stay engaged in their communities. Here's some of the things that are developing or being mm-hmm. discussed right now.
2: Yeah, it's crazy. So as you were talking to them, I was looking up real estate in each of their communities. Oh, really? Oh, I don't have to look at St. Albert. I already know that one. We, we all look at that page every week. Uh, but I was looking in Legal and with Tasquin and and. It's, it's it's hard because they're talking about how they need more affordable housing for the people who live and work in and around there. But as someone who lives here, I look at those prices and say, wow, it'd probably be a great decision to move 45 minutes an hour outside the city because the homes are really affordable. They're nice. There's also land you can buy and build a home. Uh, and I think that's the problem we're seeing across the country is that people are looking to more affordable places to let you, you know whether whether it's people coming to Edmonton from other big cities because we have lower priced, amazing homes, or people like me who are like, man, I could have a nicer home if I moved an hour outside of the city, and it just it trickles down, it trickles down, and the more and more people in their own communities are not able to afford the homes, apartments, condos that are directly right next door to them, right, and it's just. As I'm looking through the real estate and I'm listening to you guys talk I'm like I can't see a way out of this it's so it's such a sad situation uh-huh. right you know what
0: I, I think as well like there's this trend where I'm, I I know I'm not the first to talk about it but so many more people are working from home now mm-hmm. the pandemic this will, this will be one of the lasting uh, impacts of the pandemic one of, one of the the transitions or the shifts that I think w- w- may not ever reverse. Uh, and that is that more people and, and, and employers for, for a lot of employers that are either renegotiating their leases or taking smaller footprints in their buildings or whatever they're doing. Mm-hmm. More people are working from home, which does create more opportunity for people to live in, in the bedroom communities or the smaller sized cities or the rural areas mm-hmm. where they can maybe get more bang for their buck. on 100%. Real estate. It doesn't mean that it's necessarily cheap. Nothing no, seems not. to be cheap these days but that is a trend that could you know it could benefit somebody that no longer needs to live you know within a 10 minute walk or a quick transit ride into a major downtown center.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, well a home here in Edmonton that's 5 to 750 is you know 330 to 430 in in Legall or Whatchacoon sure. or wherever. So but yeah it's just as, as I'm looking at this real estate I've got articles open about how people are moving across the country and it's just a trickle down, right? So those people who can't afford homes are going to more affordable places, but those people who are living there, it it's just it's a cycle. So I
0: got an email from Kyle yesterday. He was talking about our our conversation with Max Fawcett. We we've, we've, we've been talking a lot. He was on I mean, fire about it. Yeah, Max was on fire yesterday. Uh, asking whatever happened to the claim about Ethical Oil. Whatever whatever happened, we got the photo of the pre uh, and, and a little birdie told us yesterday. By the way, I wanted to follow up on this. A very credible source told us yesterday, and I'll leave it at that. But just trust me if you know what I mean. A very credible source. You remember a commenter yesterday said I bet you that the inherently misogynistic Saudi prince that was the comment I think in the text line yesterday said I bet you he didn't shake hands with the premier and I bet you he wasn't happy to be graded by a female premier. That was kind of the spirit of the comment yesterday. Well I think they
2: don't shake hands
0: with women right? We heard from a very reputable source reliable source yesterday that there was in fact a handshake Oh, and that at some point there may be video released of said moment we don't know but apparently there was a handshake Mm. between Daniel Smith and the Saudi prince on the tarmac in Calgary at the airport the point is you've got the Alberta government cozying up to the Saudi delegation at the World Petroleum Congress and I talked about this yesterday on one hand I think well what do you expect Daniel Smith to do Obviously, she's going to do that. It's the World Petroleum Congress. We're talking about oil and gas. The Saudi delegation, including the prince, is coming to Calgary for the Congress. What do you expect her to do? And then on the flip side, well, whatever happened to all this concern about the Saudis' human rights record? Whatever happened to us blowing our horn about ethical Alberta and Canadian oil? Also a fair criticism. I'll credit the Twitter user yesterday who responded to me about my comment and about our promotion of the Max Fawcett interview and the Saudis and ethical oil. And they said, I'm sorry, Ryan, I can't hear you over the sound of the bone saw. Of course, a reference to the murder of journalist Jamal Khashoggi. And I appreciated that comment as graphic as it was. So Max is talking about Alberta oil, ethical oil, and where he wants or hopes that the focus would be at the World Petroleum Congress. Keep in mind, the theme is supposed to be around environmental sustainability, about the road to net zero. But not all of the commenters, not everybody that's taking the podium is talking about that. And I appreciate what Kyle had to say here. It's a different perspective on things. He says, Ryan, I watched your interview with Max Fawcett about oil, gas, hydrogen, Alberta's economy. And there are some things that that I believe that Max either underestimated or maybe even doesn't quite understand. Oil and gas will have a place in the future, even out over 100 years, says Kyle. We need plastics and petrochemicals and, and fuels that oil and gas provides. With extraction in Alberta projected to reach net zero by 2045, we're on a good path. Plus the development of nuclear power coming to Alberta. Kyle says, I'm actually working on that currently. He says, now that said, there are many companies that are developing e-fuels like carbon captured from the atmosphere to create gasoline and diesel and biofuels. Uh, Companies that are doing this like carbon engineering, Porsche, Siemens Energy, CNRL, Mercedes-Benz, the British government, Shell, Imperial Oil, Dow, He says for hydrogen cars, you remember, Max wasn't a big fan of that. He said he said he believed that that Danielle Smith, the Alberta government, was off base in supporting hydrogen vehicles. If you want to hear Max's full argument, just listen to or watch the episode in our archives. Kyle says this would be the most economically positive position for Alberta because of its ability to keep most upstream infrastructure the same. There are companies developing this currently in Alberta as well as around the world, including Alberta Innovates. And then he has a long list. I mean, Toyota, Hyundai, Daimler Benz, Audi, BMW, GM, uh, Honda, Volvo, Ballard, Air Liquid, Lynn, Dow, Shell, CNRL, Synovus, Atco, Sherritt, Petro Canada. You get the idea, right? Kenworth, Peterbilt, Marathon Oil, Enbridge, Suncor, ConocoPhillips, Total Energy. He says even electric vehicles, EVs with lithium, which is currently exploited of horrible working ethics like Saudi oil are being developed here in Alberta using knowledge paved by the oil sands and oil and gas and using SAG-D and wells to extract lithium without open pit mining like in Africa. Kyle says, thanks again, Real Talk, for providing these guests as well as encouraging audience engagement in your shows. Kyle, love it. Thanks. And maybe Max will respond when he hears his name has been invoked. Oh, when when Max hears his
2: name, the little hairs on his ears. Start perking up. Yeah, I
0: love that. <laughs> you can send us your thoughts on anything that you're hearing here on the show. You never know when your email might make it to an episode of Real Talk. I wanted to give a quick shout out to our friends at Eden Landscaping right now. And of course, you know, because I've been telling you for a while that we've been very excited as a family to be partnering <laughs> with them. We came up with a budget. Hey, we're just like you. This is something where I wanted to get our backyard done several years ago, but that just wasn't in the cards for our family. So when we did come up with a plan, it was important to us that it ticked all the boxes, that it achieves our objectives of a usable yard, an attractive yard, a yard that our young family could grow into, but also that we could afford it. (laughs) For you, you've got your own vision of what you want your front or backyard to look like. And that's what Eden Landscaping does. They take your vision and they bring it to life. So whether that's edible garden boxes or, or maybe it's just an excavation project, you want to run a natural gas line out to your garage so you can have a thermostat in there, a heated garage before the snow falls. Maybe it's a hardscape, like a, a beautiful, fit brick patio, or, or maybe it's a retaining wall. I mean, it could be for practical purposes. It could be decorative purposes. Whether it's a water feature or an outdoor kitchen or anything else, If you can imagine it, Eden Landscaping can come up with the design and the install that will keep you not only satisfied, but recommending them to your friends. You can learn more about requesting a quote and working with Eden Landscaping by checking out landscapeedmonton.ca. As mentioned, our Real Talk Roundtable tomorrow is going to feature the presidents representing associations, the crown prosecutors in Alberta and The Criminal Defenders. As we wrap this episode, it's over to you, friends. If you have a question, you want me to ask those two. If you have an anecdote, a story that affected you personally, if you have something that is driving you absolutely crazy on conversations around crime and justice, you need to send it to us before Friday morning. Talk at RyanJesperson.com is where you can get us or hit us up on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok. We'll see you again
1: soon. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, Executive Producer Josh Dunford, Technical Producer John Hicks, General Manager Katie Cook Chivers, Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego, Human Resources Lena Shepherd, Website Design Mike Johnston, VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson.